Hi, I'm Erica Chitty Cohen, and you're listening to This Matters, Conversations on COVID-19. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Loom, a well-being brand that's focused on empowering women around sexual and reproductive health. On this episode, Dr. Erica Cahill joins us again, but this time to talk about postpartum and to get a better understanding of how COVID-19 is impacting postpartum practices both inside and outside of the hospital environment. We talk about why mothers and babies are being separated after delivery and how to navigate and advocate for yourself around this sometimes life-saving protocol. We also talk about establishing and preserving breastfeeding during a pandemic. And we look at the value of telemedicine and how to create a virtual community of care providers and of your chosen family and friends. This conversation was recorded on April 9th, 2020. Hey, Erica. Hi, Erica. How are you? I'm okay. Hanging in there. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Thank you again for joining us. And I just want to welcome everyone who's here. Um, thank you for joining us for this matters conversations on COVID-19. And tonight we're going to be talking about the postpartum period. And for those of you who might not know me, my name is Erica Chitty Cohen. I am the co-founder and CEO of Loom. I'm a doula. I'm also a health educator. And Loom is a well-being brand that's focused on empowering women around sexual and reproductive health through empowered content and conversations just like this. And our wonderful guest, and we're just so happy to have you back with us again, um, is Dr. Erica Cahill. She is a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology and complex family planning at Stanford. She also completed her master's in epidemiology at Stanford, and her research interests include expanding contraceptive options and abortion care access, sexual education, reproductive health technology, and reproductive transitions, which means pregnancy, postpartum, and menopause. So I'm just going to dive right in and really look at some of the things that are really kind of high, not, well, I think probably the best way to discuss it is say that these are issues that are pretty triggering for families right now. Basically, I think the first question to open up with is probably one of the most activating questions and looking into mother-baby separation. I know that that's something that's occurring at a number of hospitals around the country. And I'm curious kind of what you're seeing and what your insight is to why mothers are potentially needing to be separated from their babies after delivery during the pandemic. Yeah. So I think, um, like we talked about with our last talk about pregnancy and what's happening on labor and delivery in hospitals there, this is so hospital dependent and changing all the time. So something that is certainly worth asking your care providers about asking your hospital about ahead of time and the sort of I would say days to weeks leading up to day to week leading up to delivery, just because things are changing so quickly that if you, you know, aren't due for several weeks, it will probably change. But there are some hospitals that are not having uh, that if a mother is testing positive for COVID or is being ruled out for COVID. So having testing, but the test result hasn't come back, it are recommending uh, separating the baby until the test comes back or sort of in some some version of that. That said, the Center for Disease Control, the WHO, the American College of OBGYNs, the American Academy of Pediatrics all say this isn't something that is a given. Like you do not have to be automatically separated from your baby. It's not the same thing as like, I'm trying to think of another 
like, you know, you are not allowed into the trauma bay if you are not a care provider. I don't know, some version of that that's like a hard and fast um, in a hospital. So this is something that is in a conversation as in flux as we go. But the thought behind it is we don't want babies to get COVID-19, particularly because there are some reports suggesting that babies under one might have more serious illnesses if they get COVID-19, although very little data about that. And so thinking about how we can prevent that transmission and the sort of social, the most extreme social distancing is out of the room, right? But there is a lot in between out of the room and, you know, sharing all the same germs. And I think that's where most hospitals are falling. And that's where the conversation is. Like, how can we keep both you and your baby safe while also respecting the postpartum period and doing all the other important things for um, the, the person who just gave birth and their baby's health? And so just thinking about the idea that outside of the room is the most extreme form of social distancing. So why don't we back up before we're outside of the room, what other types of protocols or social distancing protocols might be put in place that are not as extreme as that, that are still going to be very different to what pre-COVID a postpartum experience would have been like? So I want to clarify that this, these protocols are all with mothers or birthing people who have tested positive for COVID-19 or are being tested for COVID-19 with the test results not back. This is not like every parent and every baby, just to clarify that. This isn't like you are no longer with your baby on the postpartum, in the postpartum floor. But uh, the sort of steps in between, so for someone who, uh, the, the CDC guidelines that sort of everyone has adopted are similar to what we recommend in a pregnant mother or a pregnant person who, or a person who's just given birth who has the flu. Because similar, similar sort of respiratory transmission as the primary mode of transmission. And breastfeeding um, is still recommended with an active flu. There's just uh, precautions to try to minimize those droplet, the droplet transmission of that. So making sure you're washing your hands, making sure um, you're washing any equipment used for breastfeeding or breastfeeding support, and then wearing a mask if someone is COVID positive or is being ruled out for breastfeeding seems important, sort of if your baby's within six feet, which might be all the time um, or might be just with breastfeeding. And I think there are people who would choose to only wear the mask and only do all the hand washing for breastfeeding and otherwise try to keep their baby separate. And there are people that would want their baby with them all the time and would be willing to wear a mask that whole time. And I think that's like every decision, super personal. So I think something just to mention to everyone that's joining us tonight, we're gonna be taking questions live for the last 10 to 15 minutes. So I'm noticing that people are raising their hand. Um, I think the best way to actually ask your question would be to go ahead and put it in the chat box and we'll review those a little closer to the end of our conversation, but really excited to see those questions. So feel free to um, add those in there. So as you were saying, Erica, the decision of wearing gloves or a mask is something that's Mm -hmm. going to be very personal. However, the idea there is that's not something that can be enforced. That's going to be something that the mother or the parent will decide to do even when they're And I think, and I think this is, a really important point and this is my understanding that it's not being enforced that all of the guidelines from the CDC, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of OBGYN say very specifically this should be 
like discussed with the, the birthing parent and should be, if the birthing parent doesn't want to be separated, they won't be separated, that this should be a discussion. Um, so I think that that's really important as right. well. So let's go from there to talking about feeding. Mm -hmm. Now, with the idea of these social distancing practices, you know, our understanding for people that are choosing to breastfeed or chest feed, having that skin-to-skin -skin contact, having that kind of feeding on demand going on is such an integral part of establishing and sustaining breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how a parent or mother goes about preserving breastfeeding or chest feeding given yeah. these social distancing protocols? Yeah, so I think that establishing breastfeeding is hard enough as it is without adding masks and gloves and more washing of things. Um, so I don't, I don't have any magic steps to that. And I would actually be curious what your thoughts are on that. But I would say trying to, like all the things we're doing right now, like find the normal in this new normal and try to say like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to have a box of gloves at home or we're going to have a different, a box of gloves in our postpartum room. And we'll just have that be part of our routine. So much of the postpartum, so much of postpartum coping is finding the routines that work for you because you like are so exhausted. You need things to be automated. And so I think these are just kind of new routines and new components of those routines. But I would love to hear your thoughts on what what you think people can do to sort of normalize that for themselves too. Yeah, I think there's a couple different pieces there. I think to your point, this new normal within the pandemic is its own you know, discovery process. Uh, I think the question you know, that I was posing to you was kind of that preservation piece. What could that potentially look yeah. like? And I do think preservation does mean some type of routine, but I think from the breastfeeding or chest feeding perspective, if you are going to be separated from your baby, you know, yeah. for any reason, really trying to make sure that you are pumping at yep. a regular, um, you know, cadence. Yep. So anywhere yeah. from three to four hours, double expression for at least 20 minutes yeah. is going to be an important thing. And I think if there's separation at play too, you know, having something that your baby is worn, their blanket, their hat close to you so you can smell that and feel connected. Uh, you know, looking at a photo of your baby, if your baby is already, you know, making sounds, recording those sounds, listening to them as you pump, mm -hmm. you know, and I think at the same time too, and I, you know, I, I know we're going to unpack mental health a little bit more as we go on in the conversation, So important. but delivering in a pandemic, you know, has its own threshold of stress, you know, that is there. And mm -hmm. then also the potential, you know, anxiety around the separation, or if the separation does happen, navigating that, you know, all of those, those pieces, you know, play into your supply and play into yeah. your milk supply increasing in volume, because we know that most people that have breasts will deliver and have, you know, the, just the right amount of colostrum available, which is very little. It's a teaspoon, basically, yeah. per breast, per feed. Um, but at the same time, that volume increasing from that teaspoon to, you know, the amounts that a baby will need three to four days later, you know, are dependent on demand. So making sure that the breast is being or chest is being accessed, you know, mm -hmm. adequately, but then also just your mental state. And yeah. so, um, you know, and, and, and having your baby close. So again, I think we're both kind of on the same page. It's figuring out the new normal. And if you do have separation, an initial pretty vigorous 
you know, pumping plan might be a part of that. And then, you know, when you do have your baby, getting as much skin to skin time as possible, because yeah. you know, just laying the baby kind of midline and one or two blankets over does help support um, yeah. the milk supply. Uh, not as much as say actually feeding, but it, it, it is helping to kind of, you know, bolster the process. Yeah. And I think we're still trying to really protect that first hour of skin to skin, which is so important. Um, even in patients who are COVID positive, just having a mask be a part of that. Um, but with pumping, really important to wash all the parts, even, you know, all the things that you would do anyways. Um, with that, I was going to say something else, but I just forget. But yeah, I totally agree. I think one thing to add to that about just the sanitizing component mm -hmm. is you know, when you are at home, you know, putting the pump and the parts kind of in its own kind of Ziploc bag or plastic bag, mm -hmm. you know, and keeping that closed after you've wiped down and sanitized everything so that it stays sanitized, I mm -hmm. think is an important thing to kind of bring to the table too, in terms of just developing that new routine. Because I know prior to COVID, I think there was a little bit more laxity around like how frequently do you need to sterilize? Like it's not that big of a deal. You're just at home. But actually now, um, just like having you know gloves mm -hmm. in your you know your your nursery or kind yeah. of where you're going to be feeding, um, having a pretty tight sanitation process, boiling your parts or steaming them. Um, if you have one of those microwave bags that you're steaming all of your parts in um, on a daily basis is going. Mm -hmm. uh, a part of the new normal. Yeah, and I think that what I was gonna say before is, it's like we were talking about with birth right now in, in the time of COVID, but always it's control the things you can, right? And these are the things. These are the things you can control about breastfeeding. So making sure you're hydrated, making sure you have all the things that you need, doing as much preparation ahead of time to really be prepared. I think yeah. will make everyone feel more confident about that. So let's just talk about COVID infection and breastfeeding. If a mom is COVID positive, how does that impact her milk and her ability to breastfeed? I know there's some pretty strong information that's out there and I, I think it'd be great to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I think what, one thing that people are really concerned about is, is COVID uh, passed through breast milk, which I think is not quite what you're asking, but so far we don't think that is true. Um, we don't think that it is passed through breast milk. We think mostly passed through droplets or respiratory secretions and maybe um, maybe other secretions. It's, it's not clear, but the main passage is certainly through respiratory nose and mouth secretions. Um, and then thinking about if someone is actually quite sick with thinking, I think thinking of the sickness of COVID as some similar to the flu is helpful. Just most people know what flu looks like. And thinking like the biggest things that help with breast milk supply are staying hydrated, like we know staying hydrated, making sure you're sleeping well, and that your body's able to spend so much energy both producing and um, feeding, really, producing milk and feeding. And so if your body is also fighting a virus at the same time, that's going to be another challenge to a breast milk supply. And so I think we don't have – breastfeeding is so um, – individual and difficult to measure. But I think uh, the sort of consensus is that if you are sick with COVID, if you're sick with anything, that you, it can be more challenging and that you might need more, more support for that. So thinking about support and just the hospital environment and the restrictions on 
partners and family members being able to come and support and be there immediately after delivery. What are your thoughts about navigating that? And I think to add on to that question, what are your thoughts about being discharged early? And if you have a vaginal delivery versus a cesarean delivery, how do you manage an early discharge plan? And is that something you would Yeah. So I think, um, so for your first question in terms of managing on the postpartum floor without potentially without your partner, because we know that there are hospitals that are allowing, um, sort of a support person for delivery, but then not for postpartum or, or not for either. Um, that is a huge challenge. And I think you and I have talked about this, about how this epidemic is revealing lots of flaws of our medical system. And one of the things that has changed about our medical system in terms of postpartum care is that there's been such a push towards rooming in in this wonderful way that we know is beneficial for so many things. But it means that there's really the, the postpartum nurses are not trained as much to help with babies necessarily because the babies are much more with the birthing parents. And so this is a new challenge because they're having to help more um, with with that and they're not necessarily staffed to do that or all those things. So I think that's one thing that we're trying to think about from a medical perspective. How can we create this support and these change these expectations from the staff and communicate those? Um, and then, and figuring out, especially, I know you've asked, you've asked me about what about multiples, about people who have more than one baby and if they're by themselves postpartum. And I don't have a perfect answer for that. And I asked my group and I think we still don't have a perfect answer for that. We're still letting um, a, so everyone have one support person postpartum. So I think that's helpful for that piece. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well before we maybe talk about discharges, if you feel up for that. Yeah, I think, I think what's interesting in terms of, you know, how the landscape is changing and kind of managing without support if you're at a hospital, unlike Stanford, mm -hmm. you guys are still letting people come in and out. I think, I think one of the challenges there, or one of the challenges to navigate is just being able to speak up and ask for things. Yeah. I think that's, I think that can feel really hard to do. And so I think if you are getting ready to, you know, have a baby in a few weeks, really just kind of developing that kind of inner strength around being able to ask and advocate for yourself, I think is key. Uh, because I know when people go in with partners or just with chosen family, that kind of, you know, tandem support there, sometimes a partner or friend can ask for something on your behalf, yep. but just kind of getting prepared to be like, how do I do that for myself? I think, you know, another thing that has just been coming up for me a lot is just, you know, having that virtual support there, I think is really important. Yep. Someone that you can call or just, you know, have on a Zoom like this mm -hmm. and just be able to have them hanging around in the background to just check in with and encourage you to like make another call or to press the button again. So I think it's just developing that, that kind of like wider support system outside, um, you know, of the hospital if you're, if you're there. But I think to your point around nurses not necessarily having as much skill around kind of taking care of both the mother and the baby simultaneously, I think that's a really important piece for mothers birthing people to be thinking about in the sense that, like we talked about in our first conversation, 
the pandemic is putting a lot of strain on care providers in general. And then for them to be in a situation where they might not be as skilled in certain things like swaddling or diaper care, or like kind of deeper mm -hmm. practices, it's kind of, I think it's important for just parents to potentially be prepared for that so that they yeah. can kind of manage their own expectations. Um, yeah. And, and with that, I love the idea of, I actually talk to um, patients, family members on FaceTime and phones all the time, like both in my clinic and in the hospital. And so I would also encourage people to just like have your partner on the phone or have your doula on the phone or have your mother on the phone and just say like, they want to ask you some questions, nurse or doctor or whoever, like, is that okay? Because now we're all getting so used to this type of interfacing that I think that's this kind of like an opportunity to bring that into the room in a different way too. And I think all these questions about like, what's happening, what will happen to my baby? Or like, what are the rules now about this are really acceptable in a great way right now, because there is so much that is changing that I think people, I hope that people take away from this, that you should certainly feel empowered to ask all the questions about what's going on because things are changing all the time. And so more than ever, those questions are, those questions are always appropriate, but more than ever, I think really great. And if you have them, if you want to have them written down, if you want to have someone who's available with FaceTime who can have them written down, I think that would be a great way to be prepared too, just because sometimes when you're exhausted, it's hard to remember all the things. Yeah. yeah. So moving from there, just to talk about discharging. Yeah. What are your thoughts about planning for that and, and how can someone go about expediting discharging from the hospital yeah. if they've had vaginal delivery versus a cesarean birth? Yeah, so there are, again, different guidelines, different practices, different hospitals, but I would say the American College of OBGYNs and most hospitals are saying that we don't want to discharge anyone before it's medically acceptable and medically it's medically safe to do that. And what that generally looks like now, the sort of expedited version of that is 24 hours for a C-section from delivery and 48 hours from a, oh, sorry, 48 hours from a C-section and 24 hours from a vaginal delivery. And some hospitals, that's what they do anyways. That's their sort of their default anyways, but some hospitals like ours, typically people will stay for four days after a C-section. So it's a really wide range. Um, that said, we never want anyone to go home and feel uncomfortable. One, like we never want people to be uncomfortable at home near feel like we're kicking them out of the hospital. And I think we, similar to how we talked about hospital transfers from home births last time, any readmission to the hospital would be a much more involved process at this point too. So making sure people are really safe and have the right resources and follow up before they go home. Um, but, but the way to talk about a discharge is just to talk about it with your doctor and like all things better to talk about ahead of time. So let's talk about being at home. And I think this applies for people that have delivered at home, who've had a home birth and had a successful yeah. home birth. And when you actually get home from the hospital, how strict does the quarantine need to be? What is, what does it look like to quarantine once you get home or quarantine after delivery. Can you talk us through that a little yeah. bit? Yeah, I think this is another thing there's no like clear guidance on, um, but is a fine, is the balance between your mental health and the importance of the quarantine for ending this COVID pandemic. And I want to just put a plug in for the quarantine as a care provider and a public health person that all, you know, care providers are scared to go to work right now because they're worried about 
bringing this virus to their patients and then home to their families. And the longer we have this, the more nervous everyone is with that. And so when I see people who are like dismissive of the quarantine, I'm like, but we're scared all the time. Like, how can you be dismissive of the quarantine? Um, This is the only thing that's going to help stop the spread of this. But at the same time, like, it is important to get out of the house when you have a new baby. It's important to get out of the house all the time for mental health. So I think really just being mindful of the six feet of distance, of being in spaces with minimal people, of not of not having play dates, of trying to do things more virtually. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. I've heard some suggestions and talked with some of my patients about sort of postpartum planning about how to have a virtual village and how what that could look like in terms of their plans. And I'm curious what you're, what, uh, what you're recommending or what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think it's definitely important to have a set of people that you can call at any time that are part of your community chosen family. But I think actually in the time of COVID, it's even more important to have a community of providers who you're getting tele- oh, Interesting. Mm-hmm. So a lactation, or feeding consultant, your pediatrician, your OBGYN or your midwife. And I think I'm gonna circle it back to you and ask a little bit about how is COVID impacting the postpartum care experience? Yeah. In terms of from a gynecological front and also from the pediatric front, how are, what can people expect after they go home or once they've had their baby at home? So different practices are doing different things, but typically, you know, I love talking about the postpartum because it's like, I think the most neglected time period of all. Um, But before COVID, the American College of OBGYNs came out with a recommendation that we should really be seeing people more and checking in with patients at least more frequently, more more soon after delivery than the six, the typical six week postpartum visit. And I could have like a whole sidebar about how the six weeks is a whole bogus time period that was whatever. But um, but I think this is another opportunity where because people are doing telemedicine visits, many practices and ours included is doing a telemedicine visit um, at two and three weeks postpartum or sooner for patients that are following up for blood pressure concerns or other, other um, higher risk for uh, sort of mental health and postpartum depression things. And I think it's a great opportunity to start using these technologies that we have to be more present with, with patients in this time period. But I don't know that there's any like perfect set of that. And I think that should, would be a great thing to be individualized for people. And so essentially like, you know, the two to three or five day visit, whether it's with your pediatrician or with your OBGYN or midwife, can those appointments happen over telemedicine? Is there an expectation once someone's discharged from the hospital for them to come back for for well checks or what does that shift look like? So uh, for the in-person visit for OBGYN, we are offering it to people sort of anytime within that time period in terms of people can certainly still come at six weeks or sooner if they want to be seen sooner. We're also letting people push it back. We know that about half of people don't show up at all to their postpartum visit. And so trying to figure out what would be better than that six week visit. And some people would rather be seen in two months or you know, farther than that. And so we're more flexible with that than we have been historically. 
I think it's a little bit trickier on the pediatric side and I'm not a pediatrician, but I think there is a lot that goes into the examinations of a baby, the physical examinations of a baby. And usually within 24 hours of leaving the hospital or 24 to 48 hours of leaving the hospital and beyond because they're checking for lots of things. Sometimes they're giving vaccinations. So I think the in-person visits for babies are still happening in those same time um, things and then probably beyond that spaced out a little bit. But those are pretty critical weeks of figuring out um, health of the baby. And in terms of the pediatric visits being different to obviously the gynecological mm -hmm. visits, at what stage can telemedicine begin for pediatric visits? Great question. Not a pediatrician, so I'm not sure how they're quite doing that. Um, I think they're probably similarly to, to us trying to group things based on what they do uh, in terms of interventions. But again, there's so many developmental physical exams that happen then that are so important in catching things that, um, and especially those first few visits, there's vaccines at every visit. And so I think those are hard, you know, you can't do those until telehealth, but the physical exams I think are still really important for pediatrics. Yeah. So essentially just supporting people around practicing social distancing protocols yeah. when they go out the house to, to these appointments, if that's what needs to take place. Yeah. Although one thing I'll say, sorry, to add to that is most pediatricians are having specific times for well kid visits versus um, sick kid visits, which is like a little stressful if you're having a sick kid visit. But most, I think if you asked your pediatrician, you could ask to be seen like first appointment of the day, for example, so that you could kind of be in and be out before anyone else was there. Um, but again, we don't, we also don't think that kids are huge transmitters of the COVID um, virus right now. So take that yeah. as you will. And I think maybe something else to add is my understanding is that there are providers who are open to providing home visits and some nurses mm -hmm. that are providing mm -hmm. home visits. Is that something that you are hearing and seeing as well? I, I'm definitely hearing about it. It's not something we're offering right now. We're doing a lot of telehealth, but we are not doing home visits at this point. Great. So I'm going to jump over to the questions. There's a couple that are here. I think I'm going to start off with a question about family members and having people come visit. Oh, I think yes. A good one to get into. So the question is, my sister had her baby over a month ago. She's been social distancing and so have I. Can I visit her and the baby if I haven't been out in public? I think there is not the, the like right now under the quarantine restrictions, the answer is no, you should not. That doesn't, that doesn't qualify as essential, but I think, you know, maybe that is essential for you and your sister, but Technically, no travel should be done at this point to members that don't live in your household unless that is it's essential. Um, but obviously, that's like a big gray area. If your sister is having a really hard time and needs help, perhaps that is. Another question is going back to the COVID piece around testing for mm -hmm. others during their pregnancy and, um, and postpartum. The question is, is it standard practice now to separate mothers from babies if the mom tests positive for COVID? And can a mother fight against this? And I think we touched on it a little, yeah. little bit. And I, I picked this question because I felt like we could probably expand on it a little bit more in the yeah. sense that you're saying the separation is a conversation. So maybe you could just speak to that again. 
Yeah, well, one thing we didn't talk about, which is relevant to this question, is we're trying, we're starting to roll out, and some places they already are rolling out universal testing for labor and delivery. So we're testing even asymptomatic people. Up to this point, we've really only been testing people with symptoms. And I think that's more what I'm talking about in terms of, and I think that's more what people are thinking about in terms of um, social, social distancing and wearing a mask, things like that. But we haven't really even, we haven't thought about all the, the repercussions and we're just starting to think about of universal testing. So then there'll be pregnant people who are asymptomatic, who test positive for COVID what happens to them? Like, should they have all the same precautions? And at this point, because this is a pandemic and we don't have a lot of data, I would say we would we would recommend all those same precautions, like wear a mask, wash your hands. Um, but like we had, we like we've just discussed, as far as I understand, nothing is, no one is taking away your baby without your permission. No one is separating you. People, there may be care providers that recommend that if you're symptomatic with COVID. Um, but you can, it's, my understanding is you can always say no. Great. I think that's really important to bring across because I do feel like the idea is really out there and yeah. um, not really knowing how to self-advocate around it, I think, yeah. creates more anxiety. And so just knowing that it typically is a two-way conversation, I think, hopefully we'll give people some more um, yeah. belief around the concept. And enlist, enlist your care providers. Like I hope everyone has a good relationship with their midwife, OBGYN, but like get on the same page with them about that ahead of time. And if whatever they're telling you in the hospital isn't what you talked about with your care provider, call your care provider and get them in there because their things are changing so quickly that people aren't trying to be mean, like care providers, nurses, Everyone, everyone's not trying to be cruel. They're trying to be safe. Everyone is scared. And so I think thinking like, wait, this is not the information I had from my care provider. Could we, could I call them? And can we get, can we straighten this out together? If you feel like there's something happening that is not what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think that's something we kind of keep coming back to is that, you know, the environment of the pandemic is putting so much stress on everyone. And so, you know, enlisting that extra, that extra yeah. support is it can really help with that. And I do think that's also where postpartum doulas can come in as well. If you have, you know, other questions that you're wanting to run by someone while you're still at the hospital or when you get home, um, when you have these concerns, I think is, is really important too. Yeah. And even if you don't have like a, a someone that you've hired as a postpartum doula, having like the person you've decided is going to be the person you call with your crazy questions is, who's like a knowledgeable person or who could call someone or look it up, I think would be helpful too, of just like really having your village at the ready. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Yeah. So I think that's all the time we have, but I'm so happy to have you talk with us, Erica, and just kind of dive into all of this. And I really appreciate your perspective as always. And again, thank you for doing this work and being out there on the floor. You're just an incredible person. And we're just, we're so lucky to have people like you doing the work that you're doing right now. Thank you for listening. If you have a question or feedback for us, there's two things you can do. You could head to our Anchor homepage and leave us a voice message, or you could send a voice note straight from your phone to live at thisisloom.com, and we just might use it in our next episode. Next week, 
we're diving into birth control and exploring how the pandemic is creating tension around access to things like IUDs, the pill, and other forms of contraception. Until then, stay safe, stay open, and take care of yourself.